You're listening to Real Conversations about faith in the world we live in. Welcome to Truth Be Told. Well, welcome again to another episode on this podcast of Truth Be Told. And as everyone knows, I have uh, been hosting this uh, podcast to talk about uh, people, their faith journey, as well as how it uh, integrates with the uh, work that they do, and also their family life, and just uh, learning a little bit about people's faith and and uh, real people in real circumstances and, uh, and how that plays out. So I am real privileged today to have with us uh, Jamin Harold. Jamin is the Executive Director for the Secretariat for Parish Life and Lay Leadership for the Diocese of Kalamazoo. Jamin, welcome. Thank you. And you've got quite a list of uh, responsibilities that I see here. Oh, yes, of course. Tell me a little bit about uh, yourself and where you came from, your history. Yeah, so um, I have lived mostly in the Midwest uh, most of my life. Um, I grew up in a, a corporate family, kind of as a corporate brat as opposed to a military brat. Uh, okay. Every time my dad got promoted, we got moved and uh, moved around a lot and grew up in a family that was uh, probably your basic Catholic family. Uh, we went to church on Sunday. We prayed before meals. Uh, beyond that, I don't remember much. Uh, okay. I remember Christmas being big. Um, sometime in uh, my high school years, uh, we moved halfway through my high school and uh, the high school we moved to, the place we moved to, I was having a hard time getting to know people. And so my mom ran into the youth minister and was like, hey, there's people there. Okay. I think you should go there. Okay, <laughs> You'll get to know people. Sure. I was kind of an introvert. So I went to youth group and uh, and that pretty much changed the parameters of my life. You know, I, I got to know Jesus there. Um, went into seminary for a couple of years. Uh, thought about okay. becoming a priest. All right. Uh, ended up being called to be married. Okay. Now, so to, what happened there? How, yeah. how did that all happen there? Um, so I was at seminary for a couple years, and my second year as a college seminary, um, we found out that the college was going to close. Okay. And so— uh, there was God kind of, really had a plan there. Yeah. Close the seminary. <laughs> close the seminary. Wow. Just so Jamin wouldn't be a priest. Wow, okay. No, um, in the meantime, my parents moved again. So we moved. I went back uh, for the summer to an area outside of the diocese I was studying for. Uh, a lot of turmoil kind of going on, and I just did not feel comfortable going back and, and still studying for that diocese at the time. Okay. So really, I felt like I was just going to take a couple years off, okay. you know, go to college, finish my degree. Um, I actually didn't think I was going to go to college that next year because I was leaving the seminary. So I was already enrolled in another seminary. I'd applied a couple different places, but had backed out. And the day after I decided to um, withdraw from the diocese, uh, I got a package in the mail from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Oh, wow. And I had applied there, and then I had withdrawn because the diocese didn't want to want to send me there. They wanted to send me to the seminary, other seminary. And uh, so I called them, like, we've got everything here. We don't have any record that you withdrew your application, so we've got classes for you and everything else. So wow. that set my path. I so like, let <laughs> me get this straight. So the seminary closed, and then God set up the entire curriculum for you. Right. That's pretty unique uh, when <laughs> that, it comes to a vocation. That is so. pretty unique. And okay. so even when I went there, I'm like, okay, so— I'll do two years there. I'll finish it out, and then I'll I'll kind of discern where I want to be. Maybe I want to be in a religious order. Maybe I want to go for another diocese. We'll see if my parents settle down somewhere. Right. And um, while there, I met this beautiful young woman named Nikki, mm-hmm. and um, 
one day uh, we'd been hanging out a lot together and we just kind of looked at each other and said, I think we're dating. <laughs> okay. It, it wasn't like I asked her out. It wasn't like she asked me out. We just were hanging out a lot and, right. and getting to know each other. And and, um, and even for the first couple months of dating, uh, my mom had kept saying, oh, you need more experience before you become a priest and stuff like that. So this was going to, I thought this was my experience, yeah, you know, dating okay. experience. Yep. And she had been thinking about becoming a religious sister huh. and much like starting to date, there was a certain point in time where I just kind of realized, I think we've moved on from being dating to Something we need to be engaged. There. Sure. Okay. So I proposed to her um, right after I graduated from, from college. And then we took a year and nine months of engagement. I figured oh, if wow. I was going to be in seminary for eight years, yeah, I we need well to turn this. Well, good for you. That's great. <laughs> so we took a year and nine months of being engaged, really praying and trying to make sure our relationship was right. We spent some of that time apart and uh, living in different areas and everything. And uh, God just kept putting in my heart that this is the, the right direction and everything. And so nice. here we are. Um, 2021 will be 20 years. Okay. Wow. Um, we have seven beautiful children now. Seven children. Seven okay. children. Uh, How, what's the range of ages? One just turned 18. Okay. Wow. Down to two years old. Okay. Well, there's so, a, there's a wide span for you there. Right. Okay. 18 year old. That was a, that was a little bit of a traumatic experience. Uh, having, okay. having your first child turn 18. Sure. <laughs> I'll bet it was, I'll bet it was graduating from school and all that business. She's graduating this year and, okay. uh, first making me feel old. And then second going, have I done what I need to do as a parent sure. to really allow this child to go out on their own? Okay. And love God and, and be a part of this world. Well, I think <laughs> by looking at all your responsibilities, those have to tie together pretty well, I would guess. Yes. Anyway, now, but just I just out of curiosity, so you have an 18-year-old and a 2-year-old. Um, that must be a, you know, a, a free babysitting right there. <laughs> so you must be all set. Yeah, once once my older started becoming teenagers, it made life a lot easier because all of a sudden you had built-in babysitters. There you go. That's perfect. That's per So how'd you end up in uh, the Diocese of Kalamazoo? Um, so I had actually um, graduated from Franciscan and had a degree in theology and philosophy. And so I worked in a couple different church positions. I had done some youth ministry. I had done some religious ed. Um, when we were pregnant with our fourth child, um, the pastor was moving parishes. And I was basically told um, the new pastor coming in would never have hired you, but he might retain you. Oh, okay. But when you're pregnant with number four. Yeah. And you're making a church wage anyway. Right. It's kind of scary at that point sure. in time. So I kind of looked for other jobs, and I found this job doing sales. Okay. Um, and they moved me all the way out to Idaho. I'd been in Minnesota, took the job in Illinois, and then they moved me. I promoted very quickly and went to Idaho. Okay. While there, uh, my oldest, who's now 18, um, received First Communion. Okay. And we're walking shortly after First Communion, and, and she walking through Walmart, and she looks at me. She goes, Dad, why don't you work for the church anymore? Oh, I really wow. miss you working for the church. Wow. And that had been on my heart, too. Okay. So it's kind of confirmation that I needed to be doing something again with the church. Yeah. And even though I was able to bring faith into what I was doing and be a, you know, a good salesperson and wasn't one of those con artists or anything else and was doing really well there and making decent money, I, I just knew that there was something else God wanted yeah. out of me and for my family. So I started looking in, uh, being in Idaho, my family was in the Carolinas, my wife's family's in Illinois, decided to look in the Midwest and uh, found this wonderful looking job at St. Catharines of Siena in Portage. Uh, liturgy's always been a, a big love of mine, mm -hmm. self-studied in it, um, had, had really studied a lot about it, really loved it, loved the mass, 
wanting to explore that more, but most liturgy positions are music and liturgy. Sure. And God never gave me the uh, musical talent. Musical and, talents. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So this was a unique position and it was a liturgy position, but I didn't have to do the music part of it. Gotcha. Okay. And so it was a beautiful opportunity and it was only supposed to be 30 hours a week. And I'm like, that's never going to work for us. There's no way I can support my family in 30 hours a week and everything else. So I kept just ignoring it. And every day I'd do a job search looking for stuff, and it would pop back up. And I'd be like, okay, there's something to this. I need to apply. So I applied for the position, uh, got interviewed, uh, really looked like a great opportunity, a uh, great place, a uh, lot of work, a lot of stuff to be doing, a lot of educating. This was about the time that the new translation was coming out. Oh, and so okay. there's going to be a lot of opportunities to educate people. And uh, they, uh, you know, St. Catharines was willing to make it work. They added RCIA to the position to, to make it 40 hours a week to get me full time and everything. And so I talked to my wife and said, I think this is what we need to do. And uh, she agreed and, and we moved out here. And then um, a couple of years later, the dios a diocesan position opened up and I had multiple people in the diocese saying, you really need to apply for this. And so I applied for that, went there and then. I've been working there for about eight years. Um, it was about three or four years ago that I moved up into this position, okay. um, kind of the head of the secretariat. And I am looking here uh, at the list of um, uh, your responsibilities, or at least uh, different, should I call them departments or ministries, or what's yeah, the best mi way to— Yeah, ministries uh, or departments, either okay. one of those is, is fine. So, so I share with everyone here, um, I'm going to list them real quick. Um, they are—the um, the categories are, uh, if you want to call that, domestic church— Evangelization, Hispanic Pastoral Leadership Formation, Hispanic Youth, Institute of Missionary Discipleship, Ministry with Persons with Disabilities, Multicultural and Hispanic uh, Ministry, Sanctity of the Human Person, uh, Youth and Young Adults, is that right? And then Catechesis. Yes. Well, you know, um, you, you don't have... You got plenty of time on your hands, don't you, with all of this, and especially with uh, all your kids and your family and everything else. But, yeah, thankfully I've got a very good team. Yeah, with me, we've got, there's about um, ten of us total in the department, and then I head up the department, give the direction and and leadership that's needed for for all those ministries. You know what I'm fasc fascinated by, as you were talking about your your kind of life history there. Um, you know, God calls in, in many different ways, and boy, he sure seemed to be in your face uh, <laughs> with all of these things. Tell me a little bit about the position you have. First of all, Secretariat for Parish Life and Lay Leadership. What is a secretariat? I mean, so, it, there was a horse that won uh, <laughs> that won the Kentucky Derby, but what is, uh, you know? Yeah, I don't work on a horse. Okay. Um, I have really bad allergies to horses, mm. so can't work on a horse. Fair enough. Um, no, Secretariat is uh, how oftentimes the church defines— um, a certain section of ministry uh, within a chancery or diocesan offices or, or Vatican offices. Um, it's how Bishop Bradley has decided to organize the diocesan offices. And so ministries that are similar to, together with the same type of leadership, he's moved into secretariats, and then the head of each secretariat is part of his leadership team. Okay. And then, uh, so for the parish life and leadership, basically, if you can think of Anything parish-related, okay. how the parish runs, the ministries it does, things like that, that kind of falls under us. Okay. And then there's a secretary for Catholic education that would be doing the schools. And then you've got, um, obviously, the business, um, the general secretary, which does business office, finance, stuff like that. And then we've got the secretary for communications and public affairs. Okay. So um, in your responsibilities, um, so pretty much everything outside is— 
Would it be the case to say that there's an awful lot of education maybe outside of the um, Secretariat for Catholic School? I mean, is it yes. the rest of education basically outside of Catholic schools uh, is kind of falls under you? Yes, that's true. Okay. So looking at this here, um, I guess I really want to uh, go the direction of COVID for a little bit okay. uh, because um, most of the guests we've had uh, recently – um, it, you can't really ignore it, you know, and, right. and, uh, one of our shows, one of our podcast episodes, Bishop Bradley was here mm-hmm. and talked a lot about from a diocesan perspective. But as I look at your responsibilities here and, you know, of course, COVID has affected everybody's life. What have been some of the greatest challenges that you have had to face, um, in your, in your occupation, in your work, mm-hmm. in your ministry, uh, that's been tough to really face or, or changes or think whatever. I mean, along those lines. Well, as everybody knows, everything has dramatically changed with COVID and with restrictions and and with everything else. I think the hardest thing is realizing that, especially being Catholic, being sacramental, we are a people of people. We are a people of touch. We are a people of, you know, the sacraments are important to us, the Catholic Church. One of the unique things about the Catholic Church over a lot of faiths is that focus on the physical right and how the physical teaches us the spiritual sure and yet we're living in a time period where everybody's telling us to ignore the physical right right to stay away so every ministry that we've done everything that we do the retreats that we bring people together that we're laying hands on people and praying that we're hugging each other that we're wiping the tears of somebody who's gone through an abortion that we're we're being told don't do that mm-hmm. right the hardest thing is to look at ministry so differently, to say everything that we've done for so many years, which we, we were already in the midst of trying to transform into the modern world because sometimes we, we, we still are such a church of yesterday and like this has always worked for us, so we're going to continue doing that. Right. We we're already in the midst of change, but now we have to dramatically change things quickly. Like all the retreats that we have scheduled for 2020. Gone. Gone. Yeah. Like we can't meet in person. Right we had to quickly try to transform into online retreats, um, online digital ways of connecting with people, um, and still make a connection in those ways, still bring the physical. Uh, I'm very proud of what we did. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people went into crisis mode, and I really think our secretary and what we did is we went into mission mode. Okay. In the sense that we looked at what is it that Jesus Christ wants and how can we do that in this time period? Sure. Instead of just saying, oh, no, yeah. we can't do this anymore. Right. What do right. we do? Right. So we immediately, within the first uh, the first couple months of the original lockdown, had um, family retreats where we could reconnect that physical mm-hmm. at home. Okay. So for confirmation students that no longer could have a retreat that the diocese is right. putting on. right. We designed a way for parents to be able to simulate that at home, to be able to do things, which I think moved us millennia ahead. Yeah. Because really what we've lost sometimes in the church is parents have gotten to the point that they're like, I'll send my kids to the church and the church will do everything and then they come back to me. Yeah. And we've lost that sense of faith in the house. And in this sense, we were able to bring that back a little bit. We were able to help the parents to feel comfortable talking about the faith with their kids, doing things with their kids on the faith and everything. And how'd that work for you? I mean, in other words, uh, were parents uh, receptive? Was it kind of half and half? I mean, how'd that work? I I think there's always mixed reviews. Um, You know, from what I hear from people working in the parishes, which is where this was directly happening then, you know, um, a lot of them were very excited about it. And a lot of them had really good feedback from their parents. We've had, we've heard a lot of really good things from parents saying, 
um, I wish I'd had this earlier. Like, I wish I had been, you know, sure, there's parents that still don't want to do it. I mean, parents are under a lot of stress right now. Yeah. I know that as a parent. Sure. Um, I do homeschool my parents or my kids. I don't homeschool my parents. Yeah. I homeschool my kids. Um, but even in homeschooling my kids, it's different now in COVID. Okay. Like, there's still classes that they were going to. Sure. That they're no longer going to that they're doing online. Okay. I started working from home. Now you've got me working from home. You've got seven kids there. We're all trying to be on the internet at the same time for different things. Yeah. It's stressful. For some parents, trying to add the stress of trying to do something additional yeah. was very difficult. And so we tried to make it as easy as possible. It was about a half-day retreat. But even with that, yeah, some parents were really struggling with that. And so that's something that we still are trying to work with and help and assist parents and be there as much as we're able to, to give as much assistance as we can. So let me ask you this question. You, you have all of these different responsibilities, uh, so many good things going on, so many people that are in need. Um, what is uh, going on within your heart and soul when you know these, all these things going on and this happens around us, um, kind of, how do you react to that? I mean, are you looking at it and saying, hello, God, um, you know, I got some work to do. I mean, what, how do you feel about that? If, if I can ask that. Yeah, I think, it, you know, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. It really is for, for so many people. And my heart aches for all those that are going on. Um, my heart aches for uh, students that can't go to school. My heart aches for, for parents, uh, single parents that are uh, at work and their kids, six, seven, eight, maybe home alone trying to do school. Sure. Um, all these different things going on and, and so much help that I want to do in all I can react is, God, please send the help. Has it challenged your so, faith at all? You know, I don't think this has. And okay. and this is something that, um, in my experience, um, you know, there's a lot of left out of my story, but there's been a lot of times in my life that there was a real struggle. The first three years that Nikki and I were married, uh, not consecutive, but over a year and a half of that, uh, on and off, I was unemployed. Okay. Uh, we had no income. When my first born when my first uh my oldest daughter was uh conceived within the first month of that we were laid off okay wow. we were laid off a month after she was born oh my okay um my wife was not working at the time um there's a lot of times the personal tragedy personal experiences where i had to rely fully on god and those experiences helped me to understand that by putting god first right. in my life everything else falls into place the way it needs to be. And so even in the midst of this, I look at this saying, this is an opportunity for us to remember to put God first again. And how has the people um, that work, I never like to say under under mm -hmm. these people, but that work with you uh, under your secretariat, um, how have they reacted? In other words, are they saying to you, I can't do my job? I mean, and you're, I mean, how, how do you, what's going on with that? Yeah, so I think we've got different degrees of, of um experience there and different degrees of, of uh, responses. Um, some at the very beginning were just very like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like, this is what I do. I plan a retreat. I go to the retreat. I put on the retreat. Right. <laughs> this is what I do. I can't do that anymore. Right. And, and that uh, some were very gung ho, like, just tell me, give me some direction. I'm, I'm, I'm on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I would say about half the people that worked with me were really like um, jumping into it almost as a response to it. Like, this is how I'm going to handle the stress that's coming from my life is I'm going to, and half of them were like, I don't even know what to do. And so, I mean, we, I set up at the very beginning uh, weekly meetings with my staff 
uh, to talk. And a big portion of that was not talking about what are we doing, yeah, but talking about how are you doing. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that was necessary. You made so. a comment about um, uh, in terms of what does what did Jesus want us to do? Um, how did you discern that? I mean, how did you go about trying to say, okay, Lord, what do you want here? Right. Discernment is such a a lifelong process. And having been through seminary, having been through a long engagement, having been through, I look back on it and say, oh, I probably would have done that completely different now. Sure, sure. <laughs> but it's one of those experiences that what you, what really starts everything is your relationship with, with Jesus. Like my wife and I, there for the most part, I could tell you what she wants for Christmas, <laughs> what she wants for dinner, yeah. what she what she wants to do, because we have a really great relationship. We talk a lot and everything else. Right. I, I know couples that aren't in that situation. Right. They're really struggling. And a lot of it comes down to when I talk to them, they're not talking to each other, yeah. right? Like they talk to each other. And it's very easy in today's time to have that because you're both working from home or you're both doing these different things and there's so much going on. I mean, I've got seven kids. There are times where... I've got one going to soccer practice here, one going to basketball practice there, two at home, uh, another one that has to go to work. My wife has to be somewhere. I have to be somewhere. Yeah. It's easy not to have the communication. Well, the same is true with God. If we don't make a priority for God, if we don't have that communication, we don't know what he wants. But the more that we communicate, the more that we're in conversation with him, the more that we can sense his presence and peace within us. Yeah. We start to, when we have these questions, we can hear his voice a lot more clear as to what he wants and where he wants us to be. Did you feel as a staff that that was what was happening, uh, or did you encourage them? To, I mean, how, how did it Yeah, no, I, re I really think that, that that's true. Um, almost as a blessing, Bishop had named the year of the, of the Eucharist okay. last year, which has been really odd now with coronavirus and yeah. people not being able to go to, to Mass yeah, right. for a while. Mm -hmm. Can't go to the Eucharist. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been difficult, but... As a staff, at least for the first part of the year, until uh, the first lockdown happened, we were doing adoration together as a staff for three hours every Thursday. Uh, okay. So I think that set us on a good path to hear that voice of God. Yeah. Um, wow, that's that's neat. I that, yeah. that, I haven't heard that from too many you know folks about bringing a staff together in that kind of way. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So so we we established times, and then outside of that, because we started doing. Adoration was happening at the diocesan offices every day from while we were open, okay. eight thirty to four every day. So we had we took Thursday morning as an entire staff for three hours, and I just said that time is worth it. Um, some people looked and said, "You're not going to be able to produce as much." You're not gonna, and I'm like, "We're going to do so much more because of that experience and because of that closeness to God." Um, then I also asked them, invited them. It was not a requirement, but invited them to take up another hour during the week, okay. and all of them have. And so I really think that that prepared us, that closeness to, to Jesus at that point in time, right. prepared us for this time of almost isolation. Um, you know, this may be a weird way to, to think of things, but as somebody who practices natural family planning yeah. with my wife, there are times where you have to abstain sure. for different reasons. Sure. And there are times, and you find yourself, even though you can't have that physical closeness, you can find yourself even closer because of the other intimacies that you find. And so for me personally, even this whole experience of this last year where there's, there was this time where we couldn't have public worship mass, where people weren't able to attend, attend mass, it was almost like those times in marriage where you're abstaining 
and you can have a closer intimacy with God in a certain way right. because it's not just that routine. It's not just that, okay, this is what I do on Sunday and I'm going to go there and I'm going to be bored by the, <laughs> by the priest homily and the music's going to be crappy and I'm just going to go home. <laughs> not that that ever happens in any of our parishes no, in our diocese. Not. Certainly not when I'm involved. So, right. But it shocked us into going, oh, that's something I can't just do now. I got to think about this a little bit more. And I know that that was the case for my family. It was hard. It was difficult, just like abstaining in, in marriages yeah. at those times. It's hard. It's difficult. You can't do what you want to do. But there's a way that it can bring us closer. And quite honestly, for my staff, I think that preparation beforehand of that intimacy that we were having with Jesus every week through adoration prepared us for the time that we couldn't have. Wow. That's a great example. And yeah, and I think it gives a lot of hope to people that— uh, with that separation, that's a great example to be able to say that um, that it's okay, and and some great blessing can come out of it too in the long run. So right. You're not gonna believe this, but our time has already passed, and uh, you know I, I don't dare make these podcasts any longer because <laughs> nobody, everybody will stop listening. Yeah. But if I'd like to have you come back sometime, and and we can certainly go through, and maybe some of your staff as well to talk about their own personal experiences. I, again, I like to try to say, here's my job, but here's what it really means right. for me, and. Um, I'd like to invite you back sometime if you're able to do so. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, that's great. Thanks very much for being here with us today.